This is the Herbalist Without Borders Herbal Action Podcast, connecting you to our community herbalists and health justice activists. HWB is a nonprofit devoted to providing compassionate, holistic care to communities in need. We believe that health care is a right, not a privilege. I'm Denise Cusack, Executive Director of Herbalist Without Borders. Finn is Herbalist Without Borders Grassroots Public Health Coordinator. Finn has worked in both clinical and administrative healthcare settings for 10 years. They began as a paramedic in emergency departments and ambulances and now work as a program manager with the state of Montana, facilitating clinical and community system improvement. Their current project focuses on suicide prevention among native populations. They're a medic, an RN, an herbalist, a body talk technician, and a health educator. They hold an MS in public health and a graduate certificate in women, gender, and sexuality studies. They're also a yoga teacher specializing in social justice and trauma, conscious practice, and healing. They live in Montana with their partner and two dogs and multiple plant children. So many Herbalists Without Borders chapters organize people's clinics. People's clinics are free or sliding scale holistic health clinics that can take many forms like pop-up clinics at a table, in a community room or a local health food store, mobile clinic via bike or van or bus, a monthly repeat clinic at a specific location or disaster relief after a hurricane, forest fire, flood, or other event. We may want to reach the homeless community, veterans, people in recovery, or even people in shelters. And in many cases, because of this, if we want to reach marginalized communities, especially for disaster relief, we have to work with or alongside the public health system to reach the people we want to. Finn is working with Herbalists Without Borders right now to help organizers connect those dots to utilize the tools needed to integrate into the public health systems. So to start, um, I, thank you for talking to me. That's a big mouthful and I'm really, you know, it's so important though to everyone. So to start, let's start by having you tell us a little bit about what public health is and how systems are set up to support marginalized communities. Okay, well, thanks for having me. I'm really, really glad to be here. I really, I'm really excited to be starting with Herbalist Without Borders. Uh, so what is public health? That is a really good question. And it is a lot of things. Um, more or less, it's public health as a field is concerned with the health and wellness of both individuals and groups across a variety of settings. So um, kind of it's kind of like wherever people gather public health is is has a vested interest so clinics public parks and buildings and outdoor spaces um everything that you could think of that he, where humans interact in the world public health kind of has a a concern in making sure that those people are healthy and safe and able to live life kind of to the fullest um so the ones that I work with specifically are, are public health efforts that focus on um, the not institutional medicine because that's like um, prisons and stuff, but established medicine places. So clinics and primary care clinics um, and the different places where people interact with the healthcare system. Um, so there's a lot of public health that goes into that. And then what right. was the second part of that question? Um, so how are they set up to support marginalized communities in general? So each public health system, like for instance, if you're looking at the state, um, a government public health system has a lot of programs and um, grants in place 
that focused on specific health issues. And those all depend on the population and kind of the main health problems. So for instance, Montana, um, our state public health has high emphasis on um, mental health and cancer screening and just helping people get to clinics and the doctor because we're a frontier state and some people live two and a half days away from a doctor's office. Um, but in other places, like um, uh, places that have high urban populations normally have um, like really, really strong HIV prevention programs. And um, they're depending on the makeup of the population, you might have more or less emphasis on LGBTQ or, um, or other people that uh, have fallen kind of into the, the bottom rungs of, of the system. So public health is kind of trying to identify and then extend programming to them, um, resources and funding and health um, initiatives. So for instance, um, uh, pu some public health places will do like a needle exchange program, some harm reduction stuff like that. And so state governments do, do one thing, local health departments usually follow what the state government's doing. And there's a whole lot of um, nonprofit and private sector public health as well. And um, those are normally like special interest things. So um, usually it comes up when someone thinks that, that there's a gap in care. And so the, the organization wants to fill some sort of gap. Um, so like if there isn't a good, um, transportation program like if a state isn't able to to do very much to help people get transported from one place to the other sometimes you know a nonprofit might might come up and be like well we'll do that or or a local community will have um so for instance the reservations have community health representatives and they're um they're people that live on the reservation they're trained a little bit in western um western modalities and can help get people like from one place to the other and a lot of their job is is driving people from the reservation to the hospitals so it's everywhere yeah. all kinds of stuff yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> so what public health sectors are the most af uh, active in different situations and how do they integrate with the existing community groups um so are you saying like, are, is this question more about like um, with specific events, like with disasters and things or just in general? Yeah, I think that, you know, with a lot of people running clinics, it's, it's kind of both, you know, if there's a disaster, people are looking to, you know, well, how are they integrating into the community? So how can I reach them? And if yeah. it is ongoing, it is, you know, if I only work with veterans and I'm trying to reach out, you know, how do they integrate into those groups? Sure. Um, so that, that is the hard part because, um, sometimes like I was saying with public health being kind of everywhere, it's hard to identify who's doing what. So the, my, my way of thinking about it is to look for your clues. So you go, go to where, you know, the people are that are having issues. So if there is a, a disaster and you know that they're having everybody congregate in one place, you know, that would be the place for you to go. And then you look for your clues. So um, the state and the government are always going to be involved at some level. And so you can look for, um, you know, logos or look for people that have, you know, the badges and you can just ask questions like, you know, um, if, if you're a relief worker and you say like, where can I go? Like, can you point me in the right direction? They can normally at least help you get to the right place. And um, positioning 
yourself with the with the people that are doing the type of thing that you're wanting to do can sometimes help give you answers. Um, you can, uh, for instance, like in a clinic situation, if you're looking to try to integrate your free clinic with what the clinic, what the Western clinic is doing, um, let's say it's like a primary care clinic and and it sees a lot of um, of a population that you know doesn't have insurance and you want to offer your your services it it would be a good idea to find out like who is the right person to ask in the clinic first so like going in and talk to the receptionist and say like hey we do these things and we wanted to set up but we didn't want to like step on your toes or get in your way or anything like can you tell me who to talk to usually they'll be able to at least point you to the person where you can present your information and um, be become known. Uh, and that's the biggest challenge with any public health thing is those relationships. So finding out where, pe where the entities are and what they're doing and how you can fit into them is all part of that relationship building process. And the more that you're able to get your face out there and show that you are um, a consistent um, uh, figure in the community that, that you really do want to be involved in that you're going to show up that and also that you have a defined product that they can get their head around uh, those those two things are, are really useful for people that are trying to manage a whole lot of different things yeah and you know I had a good tip recently someone was talking about um you know, presenting how you present yourself. If you're going to more like a grassroots and you want to partner with Food Not Bombs, you know, how you dress maybe isn't a big Absolutely. deal. But if you want to go in and reach someone who's in a professional work setting, you want to look, you know, professional to them. Um, even if you're not going to, you know, not necessarily a suit, you know, kind of thing. Or, you know, but just look like you're a professional in how you present yourself so that they kind of can, they they believe you, you know? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. You want to, you want to mimic who you're going to talk to so that they can see you at their level. Um, and then my, my biggest piece of advice when you do go to talk about these things is to have a really, really clear set of things that you're going to do. So when someone says, you know, okay, they're a clinic director, they have only five minutes and they have 10 other fires they're trying to put out and you're meeting with them and they want to know what you're doing and how it's going to help them that elevator pitch that one to two minute sort of sentence where you can just say uh herbalist without borders this is our mission statement this is what we do i want to set up a table and it's going to have this many products on it and we want to have referral forms for your clinics we can send them inside something right. like that yeah, and that way they get all the information they need and they know they can place you in their map in their head exactly where they think you might fit and get further than if you were to say like, oh, well, we have herbs. They're going to be like, what? Come, like oregano? I'm not making spaghetti. You know? We do all kinds of alternative modalities, you yeah. know, whatever we think people might need. Yeah, exactly. But you want to speak in their language. Right. Yes. Yeah. Like a, a nurse is going to hear things in a certain way. Um, an herbalist will hear things in a different way. A person working at a food bank will hear things a certain way. So finding that out and then kind of chameleon yourself to what you think they might want to see, um, you know, it just helps you, helps, helps them see you in the way that you, um, that will be useful for them. And it'll be easier for them to see how you can fit with them. Right. Exactly. 
So kind of along that line is credentials. So what type of credentials, information, or other work should they put together? Besides, like you were saying, you know, like a, a brief pitch, but what else do you think they should have to present to people? Um, all of public health is, and, and medicine is really emphatic on evidence-based practice. So if you can get the words evidence-based practice into your advertising, you would be doing really good. Um, citations, like if there's a study that says like, we know that yarrow is a styptic and we want to hand out yarrow for people that are walking around and they need, you know, they, they may not have been, they may not be able to get to a doctor's office in time, an emergency room in time to stop the bleeding. They don't have the supplies. We want to do this yarrow thing. This is the article that tells you that this is how it works. They're not going to have time to go look up the article, but they are going to see you did your research. And so if you can insert any of that Western evidence-based stuff into your, your advertising or at least your presentation to the clinic whenever you're trying to tell them what you're going to be able to do, that's, um, those are good things. The other things um, to remember are that, that people do like letters after your name. So the more letters you can put after your name, that's whatever type of certification, even if it was just a at-home do-it-yourself herbalist course, Something that gives you some leverage as far as like, yes, I did learn this from somebody, that helps. Um, lived experience, so maybe you don't have letters, but you spent 20 years doing this, and you've been to um, other disaster places and you have this lived experience, that's really powerful as well. Um, and don't, don't overload people with information. We often wanna tell people everything we know about something, but it's worth it to think about what are the small pieces that'll stick in their head. So whenever you're trying to say like, maybe you don't have an article for how something, an herb that you want to have like actually works, or maybe you're doing Reiki and you, there might not, there's not a whole lot of solid evidence, even though we know lived experience, people are getting great benefit from it. You can always sort of defer to what people are saying. So like, I want to say pop culture a little bit, like, you're not going to convince a doctor that Reiki's doing anything, probably, but you can say it's a growing movement. All these people are using it. It's part of CAM, you know, and we know how to do it. So, like, you know, we know you don't do it, but some people do like it. You know, we'll offer it. And and positioning yourself as we we're doing this. We know that you don't do it, but people like it, and we're kind of filling this like alternative need of your clinic. Like that's kind of powerful too, especially if you're in any place that likes to include those types of things, but maybe they don't have the resources, um, like especially crunchy towns or, or clinics or integrative places or anybody that's moving towards the word integrative at all. That's another good buzzword to, to remember, the word integrative. Right, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, another thing that's important too is if we're going and we're looking to, um, to have a set up a table, like, at where the fire department has like people being um, evacuated to that's one one group of people and maybe we say oh we're gonna you know support respiratory function and help people with their you know support their wellness with anxiety or things like that but it's, it's also important I think if we're going to like the traditional western medical clinics that we don't make them feel that we are trying to replace them or that we're practicing medicine without a license that type of thing that we're just we are there to support the health and wellness of people and offering alternative modalities that help support what the, they're doing. You know, it's like we're an added benefit to and not replacing. 
Um, All of those words I would highly recommend. Um, Because, yeah, that, especially right now where, um, you know, there's a lot of changes happening in healthcare and there's a lot of people like me that are going, okay, this is how we make it better. It's very, very scary because people always associate change with loss. And so there's a lot of people afraid that if somebody else comes into their space, they're not going to have a job anymore. So yeah, promoting it as health, wellness, complementary, um, not replacing, not definitely make sure that you are saying this is not medical. We're not giving medical advice. That'll keep you out of trouble with the law. Um, all those things, those can usually help to, um, smooth over those anxieties. And, uh, you probably are still going to have a bit of an uphill battle with the relationship building with a lot of them. If people, like if a clinic has never interacted with an herbalist and they are just truly like, I have no idea what you're talking about that's going to be a harder one than if you're in California and they know what yoga is and you know, that's totally different. (laughs) And I think, you know, if people then have like with Herbalist Without Borders, like our mission and values and can refer people to our website, it also looks like they're a part of a larger organization. That's very helpful. Sense, right. It's like, Oh, I understand what it is you're doing and not Mm -hmm. just like, hi, I'm just walking up here and um, inserting myself. So I think that helps too. Um, And I don't know if you guys, sorry, I I don't know if you guys have like logos and stuff that you put on your products, but if you do consistent logoing can really help with that. um, That also that assurance, like connected to the bigger organization, like you were saying too. And it's important, you know, that's why we always try to tell people, you know, to follow the labeling laws and things, even if we're just doing something, you know, at a, you know, a walk-up, pop-up, you know, at, you Mm -hmm. know, standing out like a wellness table, if there's things that people are taking with them, you know, it's really important Mm -hmm. that we have the the labeling done well, so Mm -hmm. that, um, you know, it's not like duct tape with, you know, magic marker and it looks yeah. that way. Then we look like we're working professionals and it instills yes. more trust, I think, as well. Yes, absolutely. Plus then they can always get in contact with you somehow if they need exactly. to. Yeah, exactly. Good Definitely. point. So for, you know, I know we're going to talk about this more in depth in the future and we're going to work on having webinars where people can ask questions. But for the podcast, um, do you have any final tips such as, um, how else people can introduce themselves or even where to look, you know, we are talking about Western clinics, but I think, you know, also like the Red Cross is in places Mm -hmm. or homeless shelters or Mm -hmm. women's shelters or, um, you know, where do people, where can people connect? Absolutely. Um, So I would definitely say what, what you're saying about all the different types of shelters for people who have crisis um, crisis places are a good good place to definitely find groups of people. Um, support groups are an interesting one. Um, I found this out through doing this exact thing. I was trying to spread um, information about a class and I was going to all the regular institutional places and like couldn't get very far and then someone said well come to this support group meeting and suddenly I had 50 people from 50 different places that were interested in this class. So um, looking up your local things um wherever you are just to see like who's meeting and where aa Al-Anon, like there's anywhere that people meet you're gonna find people that are going to be interested in what you have and so it's a matter of just putting yourself out there other good ideas are to um 
find what's called a champion or a gatekeeper in your community. So oftentimes, it's hard to get into a certain community with your product if you don't know anybody. So um, the LGBTQ is a, is a, is a famous one um, that's kind of difficult to actually get into unless you are like you have the right contacts. It used to be a lot harder. It's, it's easier now. Um, but f finding out the one person, maybe somebody who is kind of more, um, more forward in the media, uh, and you're able to actually make connection with this per person, and then they introduce this person to the next group, to the next like name somewhere. And it, it could take a little while to build that relationship, but that's your champion, that's your gatekeeper. They're the ones that let you into that community. Um, that's an actual, like we learned about it in grad school, public health tactic. Um, is to identify and then pursue those gatekeepers. Um, but those guys are everywhere. Those are in the, the marginalized communities, um, for one, uh, but they're also like in the clinics. The person who gets to you the furthest might not actually be the nurse manager. It might be the volunteer that's at the desk all day long. So identifying who can help you, it's kind of an opportunistic endeavor. Um, but it's also kind of Sherlockian. So, you know, it's, it's just lo looking at the organization and saying, or the, the group and saying who, who could, uh, who has the most information, who's got the most pull, the most leadership, the most dynamism. Um, it's different than who the CEO is. And then at the same time, so you get your champion and then you need to eventually loop in your leadership. So keeping in mind the idea of going both the grassroots level and the high level and bringing them together. Um, other places to look, so like, let's see here, I said local programming, crisis centers, this, like the state or the local health departments are going to have probably lists of programs, so you could start on the internet and just look. Um, support groups, um, the library, the library has a ton of resources and can point you in some really great directions, plus it's becoming really known now that this is a place where a lot of our homeless and our other marginalized community members will go to. And so, you know, just starting at the library and setting up a table there, you know, and, and capturing that demographic, like then kind of building up from there, public spaces like that are really good places to start. Well, that's awesome. So many good ideas. And I know it'll spawn, you know, a million other questions and directions for the next time we talk about it. But it's a really great introduction, I think, to help people. And I hope I hope that it does spawn more questions because it does get so much deeper and more detailed. And I feel like we've barely done it justice so far because it's such a broad explanation. It is. <laughs> well, that's why I know. It's like the podcast is, it's almost like we're a teaser here, you know, to give people yeah. tips. And, and let them know that you're here, you know, that yeah. we're going to start building this and helping people find out how to really get more involved in their communities. Because, you know, that's the whole point of Herbalist Without Borders versus, you know, how um, some organizations work is that we want to empower people to work in their own communities with their, mm -hmm. the people that they connect with. Mm-hmm. And. Sorry, I'm glitching there. Um, <laughs> I know. Don't worry, zip, edit. Um, <laughs> it's really important that um, we realize that looking, you know, people always look outward. Where can I go help people somewhere else? And, you know, but working where you know people mm -hmm. in your 
in your own town, in your own town, at your home, you know, in your, in your own region is really so much more, um, accessible over time. Um, it makes such a big impact with a larger group of people than if you travel somewhere else. I mean, it's not saying that other people don't need help after something happens, you know, and setting up those regional relationships is really important to be somebody's backup if something happens. Um, but you know, there's always someone who needs us in our own towns. And so finding out how to reach those people that could best, you know, use what we have, I think is really important. Absolutely. Um, And I'm also going to put in a plug for self-care here too, because you're talking about looking, (laughs) looking closer in and often we forget to look in ourselves and heal our own trauma and make sure that we're in a good place. Because if you, you're able to start with a good place in yourself and you have good boundaries and you are in a good, um, good health with your own soul, then you can do even better work, like moving out because you've got more capacity for it. And that's the hard thing, you know, and especially if it is local and something has happened, you know, we have that guilt if we mm-hmm. take care of ourselves or if we stop that mm-hmm. there are people that still need us. But um, it's so important so that you can keep going, really. Yep. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. So then um, I know we're going to talk more, but thanks so much for taking the lead in this project. And I know we have so much more that we're going to be doing. It's so important that we have the knowledge and plan to work it within our own communities. Um, and so I appreciate you. I really do. <laughs> well, I'm really glad to be here. So I'm really glad we're, we're getting started and talking about this stuff. It's really exciting. So visit the website, um, hwbglobal.org, on our blog to find out more about Finn, our new grassroots public health coordinator, as well as upcoming webinars, training materials to better support coordinators of chapters, clinics, and projects. Um, And we'll keep moving forward on this. So thank you, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of Herbalists Without Borders. We're a network of herbalists, traditional healers, complementary and alternative medicine clinicians, botanical medicine makers, herb growers, students, and just folks interested in the role of plants and wellness, sustainable agriculture, preservation, and restoration. If you value this content, please go to herbalistswithoutborders.weebly.com to make a donation or join as a member today. Support down to the ground green medicine in your community.